I'm reading out of Luke chapter 17. And while you're turning there, do you all like the smaller format? Do you like that? It seems to be um, um, easier for me to make, and so far nobody said, I wish it was bigger. But um, I wanted you to know that that laminated copies are also for folks who are outside of the community to take those as well. We are in Luke chapter 17. This is the story of the ten lepers that are cleansed by Jesus. It begins at verse 11. Last week when I said I was going to speak on this passage, I I had no idea that God was going to really work me over. Still doing it too. And I hope that this isn't something that's just all about some things that God's trying to show me. I think He's trying to show us. I think, no, I know, He's getting us ready for next week. He's getting us ready for something very powerful. And I, I understand that this kind of message probably is something that you'll say, Preacher, why didn't you share this with us a long time ago? I didn't know it. I learned it this week. And so I hope it blesses you like it is me. Luke 17, verse 11. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. The word of God for the people of God. Heavenly Father, I ask that the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts, and the thoughts in our minds would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord God, you are our strength our rock, and my Redeemer. Amen. I love this passage. It's great. We talked about a remnant in a previous message over the last couple of weeks talking about worship and that Elijah said he was all alone in his battle against the enemy trying to bring up a nation for God. And God said there's a remnant. Well, in terms of a remnant, it's usually 10% of the population is the remnant. And in this case, we have ten lepers cleansed, and one returns to give thanks. One out of ten is ten percent, right? So we have the ten percent rule going on here again. Ten percent of us get it. Ninety percent of us don't in this world. And hopefully, what we find is that God has made a significant difference in who we are as people, has transformed us, by His power and mercy is found through Jesus Christ. If He's done that, something great has happened. I share with you 
that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. You might say, I know that. No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. Because we don't ever live that out as more than conquerors. We don't understand the whole ramification of that. Oh, yes, I do, Pastor. I know I'm more than a conqueror. I can defeat the enemy. So you're walking on water. So everything's perfect in your life and you can call down authority like Christ did. Let me share with you something. When you begin to look at this passage in Romans, that something changes. Here's what he says. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who's making intercession for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it's written, for thy sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he's talking about these things is persecution, suffering, struggle, disease, injury, pain. He's not talking about the easy things of life. He's talking about the things that make life hard. When we are more than conquerors, it means we recognize the purpose of the enemy. The enemy has a purpose. Do you remember Job? Job had a purpose. And it was to show the enemy that there was one person who would not deny God. That's what his purpose was. Because he badgered Job every which away. But Job would not deny God. He would deny himself. He rued the day he was born. But he did not deny God. The purpose of the enemy was to show the quality and character of a believer in God named Job in that purpose. So when something rises up in your life, how do you handle it? What do you do? When I was a kid, I was afraid of everything. Everything. You might say, oh, no, you weren't. Yes, everything. It didn't matter what it was. If it was dark, spiders, bugs, I was afraid of it. I'm still afraid of cockroaches, but other than that, I'm pretty good. But one of the things that I had as a kid was this dream, a recurring dream. And maybe you all had a dream, something like this. It was like this monster always chasing me. And every time he caught me, I would wake up. Like, I guess because in my dream I thought, you know, I was dying or something. Or was going to, so it ended before it finished. But it was always this ugly, hideous thing chasing me. When I was a kid, um, I used to run to my parents' room. Even up to age 12, 13 years old, I'd run to my parents' room having a dream that some monster hauled my parents away. And I'd run in there just to make sure they were safe. Because there was, I didn't feel safe. And I kept having those dreams for years, into my adult years. And one day, as I was dreaming, and it's a very, very interesting dream, and I want to share this with you because it's important to the message. There was a friend of mine and I out fishing. Now, in, in my dreams before that, the scenario was almost always the same. My dad and I were on Lake Glendale, southern Illinois, fishing near the spillway, um, near, the, near the boat ramp part there, near the spillway, 
And always this great big monster come out of the water and engulf us and take us under and I'd wake up. Well, in this particular dream, it was a little different. It was a friend of mine from college. And, and, and I wouldn't say he was a godly man, but he knew who God was. That kind of person. And we were out fishing. And in my dream, I know what's going to happen. And here comes this monster coming up out of the water. And I'm getting ready to wake up. And my friend says, don't you wake up. Don't you wake up. I'm here. And the monster came up and he looked at it and my friend turned in the figure of Jesus Christ and rebuked the monster and the monster went away. He said, you don't have to be afraid of that monster. I've defeated it for you. I've never had the dream since. And I had it for 30 years or more. Can you believe that? That's amazing, isn't it? To know that God can do that. Well, what... He began teaching me then was a principle, a divine principle, that when we come face to face with something that's standing against us and the promise and word of God in our life, it is not meant to succeed against us. Scripture even tells us every weapon formed against us will not prosper. Yet everything that comes along, whether it's a sickness or a financial difficulty, what do we do? We get afraid. We get, oh, this is, this is the one. This is the big one. Or maybe we think this is the one that's going to end it all. Or this is the one God can't. Maybe God did it before, but God can't do it this time. He's the same God. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I share with you this story because a lot of times we live our lives defeated with victory in our hand. Maybe, and don't hold this against me, maybe it's because I'm a lifelong Cubs fan that I've learned you just can't win anything. Maybe, that's why. I don't know. I keep asking myself, why do I root for a team that never wins? I can't understand that. Why do I do that? I... I'm not even going to say this very loud, but sometimes I think I ought to root for the team that wears red. <laughs> Don't tell people I said that, please. That would be bad. But what I'm trying to share with you is victory is what God has built us for. He's built you for that. That you would live and not live defeated. Here's what I mean by that. In our story, we have ten lepers. Jesus is going through Samaria and Galilee, and these men are outside of their city wall. The lepers were in what was called a colony. However many were there in that region, they lived together. They're socially unclean, they're contagious, they're not allowed to be in society, they're not allowed to work, and the only thing they can do is stand and beg for food, sustenance, they're not allowed to go in the city or be anywhere but in this place where those were. On this particular day, there were ten. And I'm looking at this from the surveying eye, you know, just looking over the scenario and seeing, what if I was one of those ten? Not, I'm Jesus and here comes the healing, but what if I'm one of those ten? What is my life like? 
Here's what society tells me. I'm ugly. I don't matter. I have no purpose. My sickness is larger than life. I must be with people just like me because nobody else wants me. Nobody else cares. And so here are these ten. Now get this. They've become friends. So I have a friend now who's just like me, who has the same thoughts and mindsets that I do, that we're stuck together, we might as well make the most of it, and uh, we'll beg and we'll share together. You'd say, oh no, it's every man for himself. If that were the case, then why when Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priests, did they not all go their own way? They all went together. They went as a group. Ten of them. But there's one of them. And I understand that he was a Samaritan. A Samaritan is a man uh, from a country that is not considered holy. A good comparison, I think, would be maybe if we thought, saw them as Al-Qaeda in the United States in uh, the middle of Tennessee. Or a Taliban coming over and saying, I'm going to destroy your country. You know, that's the kind of people this man was in terms of the Jewish nation. He is in the group of ten. We don't know that the other ten are not Samaritan, but for the sake of the story, he is. He is considered not good enough for God. The Jews will never consider him a part of their fellowship. He is a heathen. He is a low life because he's born a Samaritan in Samaria. Because of where he was born, his skin color just a shade darker or lighter than theirs, and maybe their family lineage wasn't completely pure. So therefore, they're not Jewish. Therefore, they are no longer welcome in the Jewish community. This man knows a double indemnity. Do you understand Not only does he have the leprosy, he can't be with his family, he can't be with God. That's what society's telling him. And do you think he wants to be a part of things? Don't we want to be a part of things? Don't you want to be included? To make a difference? Your life to have significance and meaning? I think so. And here he is, with all these things in his background and hearing words from people tossing him food from a long way away. Give it to the other nine, not you. You're a Samaritan. You can't have that. And how he longed to just once feel the embrace of a loved one, but he couldn't. How alone is he? And don't we in our lives often feel like we're so existentially alone that in a group we feel like nobody even knows we're there? Sometimes it feels like nobody will ever understand us. Nobody can see through all the smile and the facade to the heart that's crying out saying, I need something that you just don't understand. And maybe I don't either. That's this man. 
You might think that nobody understands your situation, but I promise you, Jesus does. And I want to show you here in a moment how I know. But this man, not only was he living defeated, he didn't have a choice. He couldn't go anywhere because his sickness was visible. Society said no, that means you can't work. You can't work, you're lucky to eat. Family says no, not because they don't love him, but because they do. He's got a lot in there, doesn't he? And I bet someone said, keep your head up, love God, you know, pray for your, we'll pray for you. And I don't know how long he had the disease. But I imagine he prayed more than once and no answer. And then Jesus, for some reason, had to go through Samaria. And he entered into a certain village and those ten lepers, as he was entering, stood a long way away from him. They had to say this. Now, the lepers had to say this whenever someone came near. Unclean. Unclean. Another way to say that is, I'm sick. Stay away. I'm quarantined. I am not worthy to be around. Do not come near me. If they didn't say that, they could stone them. You understand? You're not allowed to go around them, and they're not allowed to let you. And they see Jesus, and they, these men met him a distance off, standing away. We're unclean, we're unclean. And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. All ten, calling out. And when Jesus looked at them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. That means they had to go into the city where Jesus was entering, find the priest, and the priest would do the Old Testament ritual of pronouncing them clean. Um, there's a problem with that in the stories because the Samaritan was going to the priest. But the Samaritan had to be pronounced clean by a Jewish priest. Do you know that? A Jewish priest had to pronounce a Samaritan man who is not a Jew as clean to fit back in society. That's kind of like trying to get your license back when you've lost it. And you've got to go to an authority that says you can have it back even if you didn't know you could. But you have to have that authority. That governing authority was the priest. Not Rome. Not Herod. Not the ruling authority. The priest was the one that ran the community. A lot of power there. Because he also controlled the authority over non-Jewish people in terms of work or not. So, they all leave. It says, they went together, and as they were walking, they, they, they were cleansed. When God does a work, you know it. It's not a question of, I wonder if God just made me feel better. You know you feel better. When God gives an answer, you know it happened. Not only do you know it happened, you know there's no other way it could have happened but God. And as they're going and they're cleansed, one of them 
saw that he was healed, and he turned around and went back with a loud voice, thank God. He praised God. Why did he praise God? Do you think it's because his leprosy was healed? I think it's because he got to be a person again with hope and a future. And that the enemy of leprosy failed to defeat him. Because God was bigger after all. That God included him. We want to be included. God wants to include us. That's his heart's desire. So this man notices he's clean, falls down on his face at Jesus' feet and worships. Let me paint this picture a little more clearly. When he came back to worship at Jesus' feet, he had not been pronounced clean yet. He was still ritually unclean. So he's not allowed to come near Jesus. If he comes near Jesus, he has to by law say, I'm unclean or he's going to be stoned. He's got to be killed immediately. Instead, he falls at Jesus' feet, thanking him profusely, without saying, instead of saying, thank you, God, thank you, Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done. I'm clean, my sin's pure, I'm a new man, thank you, thank you, thank you. Without going to the priest. Why? Do you get it? He's at the priest. You understand Jesus is the priest. He is the healer. He is the one who pronounced the cleansing, not the guys in the city. The guy in the city could only pronounce what God had already done. He couldn't do the healing. The priest couldn't. This man could. He is the high priest, according to Hebrews. Our high priest forever. And I'm so thankful for that because it means that only did Jesus have the authority to heal, he had the Authority also pronounced him clean. <laughs> but it's more than from leprosy that he cleanses. And this man was about to learn that. That he took away the shame of feeling unconnected to God, unconnected with society, and found out he matters in one small healing. That's powerful. But it goes deeper. In Psalm 91, we find these words. Many of you may have quoted this passage in times of need. This is the one that talks about the angels be giving charge over you if you ever stumble and fall. But I want to share with you a few select verses. It says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You will not be afraid... For the terrors by night, the nightmares, okay? The fear. Nor the arrow that flies by day, that's a visible, seeable enemy. Nor the pestilence that walks in darkness. We're talking about sickness, cancers, heart disease, all those things that come against us. Those things are called pestilences in Scripture. 
nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. And that's talking about financial ruin. In verse 7 he says, A thousand are going to fall at your side, and ten thousand by your right hand. But it will not come near to you. Those enemies cannot touch you. Because you have made God your refuge, even Him your habitation, there no evil will destroy you. Neither shall any plague come near your home. Now you say, Pastor, what's that got to do with uh, this leper? Do you understand? He knew who God was. He just didn't think he had a part. He still prayed. When God showed him the truth, and the truth was that he is a redeemable soul, that his life is worth redeeming, that God wanted him in his kingdom. He had a purpose and a place for him. Why do I say we don't think we're more than conquerors? Because we forget what's happened already. Bad things happen. Yes, we pray. We know God will take care of one way or another. But I want to share with you that on Calvary, there is nothing else ever able to stand against you anymore. That Christ healed those leprous men with the same power that rose him from the grave. It's the same power that was at work at that moment, that day, as on Calvary, as at the resurrection three days later, as is at work today. It's the same power. It's the same Christ Jesus. He has not changed. He is seeking out each one of us and telling us that we have a place and a part in His kingdom. Worship begins when you realize no matter what an enemy does, it's rising up against you only to show you that it's coming to fail so you can defeat it. It's coming to show you that you have authority over it. It doesn't have permission to destroy you. It only has permission to scare you. To cause you to have either fear or, or trust. It doesn't have permission to do anything else. If you've ever seen a barking dog in a cage that can't get out, all it can do is scare you if you get real close. It can't bite unless you get in the cage. That's what I'm talking about. These barking dog enemies that this leper had couldn't destroy him. You understand, his purpose and passion as a Samaritan was overruled by Jesus Christ. His grace and mercy that flows through Calvary is the same healing force that 10% of people who ever encounter it say that's real. And they know it's real because they're a changed person inside. And they don't have to go to the priest. They can come straight to Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for healing me and restoring me. We have already won the war. The battle belongs to God. We are victorious. You might say, but you don't understand what I'm going through. Yes, I do. It's not going to kill you. It can't. It can only get you closer to heaven. <laughs> oh, yeah, we forgot about that part, didn't we? 
There's a benefit if this thing takes our life. Our life is here with Christ in God. And when He appears, we'll appear with Him in glory. Our life is Jesus. It's not this body of flesh that's going to die. I promise you, no matter how much you overcome in this world, your body's going to die. Hopefully, prayerfully, you don't want this one for eternity. Maybe you want your body for eternity, but I don't want this one. This one doesn't work real well. Every day I find something that's going to blow, I'm glad I'm going to have a new one. <laughs> Where there's no tears, no pain. Do you understand? Calvary has given us freedom from the things that held us back. When an enemy comes against you, all it's doing is to show you that you can stand against it. Some people are afraid of litigation, court, uh, arguing, uh, fighting, and things like that. But I promise you, everything that comes against you, when you belong to Jesus Christ and walk according to His ways and purpose, those things are meant to show you that you are more than a conqueror. That they will not destroy your relationship nor your life in Christ. So let me ask you this. What have you got to fear if that's the case? Everything that comes against you is rising up to fail. Think of that for a moment. Everything that comes to threaten you or hurt you in any way is coming so it will not succeed. And it wants you to know that. Just like that monster in my dream. My friend said, you're not waking up. Not today. Or tonight. You're not waking up this time. And he defeated it. Do you understand? The things we're afraid of, we're only afraid of them because of our uncertainties. We don't know the outcome. Well, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? doesn't matter. I've already won. I'm already a conqueror. This thing is just testing my faith. Testing me to grow me stronger. And it gets harder and harder, the tests and the trials and the tribulations. But they are still there to show you that you belong to God. And this thing can't defeat you. Here's something simple. Very simple illustration to close with. When you were younger, maybe six months old, you could not walk. Did you know that? Six months old, you could not walk. Matter of fact, there's nothing in your mind that ever even knew how to walk. You never walked before. You never even stood. And you tried. First of all, you had to crawl. You said, I see people walking. It can be done. Other people are doing it. I can do it. Should be me a possible part of history. And I thought, when I was little, wouldn't it have been cool to have been the only person going around on all fours? <laughs> Running like a dog everywhere, like a cat. And I thought, no, no, it would not have been the only person who chose not to walk. But I share with you this because... The first time you crawled, you didn't crawl far. You probably drug yourself because you weren't strong enough. Hear this, you weren't strong enough. The idea of you wanting to crawl and walk and get somewhere without someone dragging you over there gave you enough courage to say, I've never done this, but I want to get there. I've never been a part of that. I've never done that, but I see it can be done. I'm going to try. 
And finally we end up crawling. Remember the first time my sons crawled? The first day it was a foot, the next day it was 50. He said, I'm crawling all the way. That's what's in his mind. I'm going all the way across the house. And he did. He was exhausted, fell asleep on the floor at the 50 feet. It was great, but he made it. So then we see, I'm crawling. I can really get going good. But then we saw we could stand. I never said before. You know, but other people have done this, and I want to be a part of everything. I want to fit in. I don't want to be an outcast. I want to stand. So I'm going to stand. And the first time you stand, you maybe a half a second, you fall back down. God gives lots of padding when we're babies for a good reason. All over. That baby fat protected us from a lot of learning to stand. And the first time we walk, how many steps do you think we take? Is it a marathon? What do we take pictures of, folks? First one. The baby's first step. Why the first one? Because it's saying they're becoming what they're supposed to be. And the first step is the one that starts to rest. Where the baby says, I can do this. Doesn't give up. Oh, I failed. I'm no good. I failed. No. Gets up and there's no sense of the word failure here. This walking thing's an enemy to the baby because he can't do it. It says, I'm rising up. I can do this. I can walk. Maybe not real well, but I took a step. I can walk. And you'll see that grin on their face. So, you know, ha, ha, ha. You know, they just took that first step. They know they did something. And they know they can do it now. They get a taste of victory. And after that, try and stop them from walking. And they're not getting, you wish good. You may start walking everywhere. But you're thankful to God that they can. You want to carry them everywhere. Well, that's what God's doing with these enemies. He's tired of carrying you. These things are causing you to grow beyond them that come in your life. He doesn't want you struggling with things like that. He wants you struggling with things like world population or feeding the hungry. He doesn't want you worried about, well, you can feed yourself. He wants you to grow beyond those things. And so he's trying to get you to grow beyond the first step, which is, I don't know if I can defeat this or not. You already have. Christ showed you in the cross, it's defeated. Shall tribulation or hardship or famine or pestilence separate us from God's love? No. Therefore, all systems go. Your enemies are rising to fail, you're rising to sin. And that's the cross. One out of ten did it. One out of ten get it. Don't let yourself be the ninety percent. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there's been a lot of times in my life, even in that dream that I had, where I thought the enemies were coming to destroy me, that they could. You've given your word over and over and over again. The enemies are not successful. Nothing formed against me will ever prosper in what it's meant to do, except for this meant to teach me that in you all things are defeatable. And that I can do all things through Christ who gives strength. All things. There is no limit. Heavenly Father, forgive us where we put limits on ourselves and our abilities and what you said we can be and what we say we, we can't be. And so, Heavenly Father, may we hear your true voice this morning that says, we are free. 
and we are free to live and to love on your terms.